Turn me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're looking at three verses this morning. And uh, my message is titled, God's Commitment to You. Now, we all hear that. God is committed to you. God loves you. God, God is for you. But where does it say that in the Word? We're going to look at Romans chapter 8. Actually, this is part one or part two message. I'm preaching today's message, part one. Next Sunday is part two. But both messages are, are God's commitment to you. And what does the Word say about His commitment to you? That's what we're going to be looking at. So turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And let's look at, let's, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 26 through 28. Uh, it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Question for you this morning. How committed are you to your mom and dad? How committed are you to your parents? How committed are parents to their children? You know, I believe one outweighs the other. I, I believe the commitment from a parent to a child is greater than the commitment from a child to a parent just because we love our children so much and we care for them so much. I'm going to read something to you. The love and commitment in a family can be compared to a river. A river naturally flows downstream, strong and swift, Water flows from the mountain springs to the rivers, from the rivers to the lakes, from the rivers to the ocean. It never goes the opposite way. The same analogy can be used to illustrate the love and commitment between a parent and a child. Yes, children do love and are committed to their parents dearly, but the love and commitment that the mom and dad have for their children, it naturally flows down and it is greater. Fathers will move heaven and earth for the success of their children to show their love and commitment. If you've ever questioned the love and commitment of a mother towards her children, just watch what happens when her children are done wrong. Mama bear will come out and bite your head off. Amen? Amen, because we are so committed to our children. We're, we love them. We're committed to their success. We, we're, we're watching over them, and we're there for them. We're their biggest coach. So that brings me to the question this morning. Of course, we're looking at God. Is, is how committed is God to you? To what level is he committed to you? To what degree is he committed to you as his child? The title of my message this Sunday and next Sunday, what we're looking at, is God's commitment to you. I had originally planned on finishing Romans chapter 8 today, but if you read this last half of Romans chapter 8, that's a scientific impossibility. There's just so much here that I had to break it into two Sundays, so this Sunday and next Sunday. This Sunday, we're, um, today we're looking at verses 26 through 28. Next Sunday, we'll pick up at verse 29 through the rest of the chapter. But God's commitment to you, that's what we're looking at this morning. Take it to the bank. 
because he is committed to you, and we're going to see it this morning. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you now for your word. Lord, encourage your people. Strengthen the believers in their understanding of your commitment to them. Lord, we are committed to you. We love you. We trust you. We follow you. We desire to be disciples of Christ, to follow you wholeheartedly. But Lord, let us reflect and rest this morning and understand your commitment to us. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, let's look at these three verses. Romans chapter 8, let's look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The first commitment we see here to the child of God is the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not a power. He's, the, he's God. He's deity. He's God. He's the third member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He is a person. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he comes inside and dwells in your spirit, in your heart, we like to call it. He comes in and dwells inside of you. Uh, he comes inside and causes you to be born again at the new birth. He, he baptizes you into the body of Christ. He baptizes you with gifts to minister to the body of Christ. But one of the greatest things he does, he leads us in victory. He helps us, as we've been looking at Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, we've been talking about this war between the flesh and the spirit. And one of the things the spirit does is he helps give us victory over the flesh. Victory over, over our flesh, over our sinful desires. He helps us to put the old man to death. But part of the victory that we're looking at in this verse is the Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray. He teaches us how to pray. How many of y'all know that's very important? It's very important that we learn how to pray. So let's break down, verse, look at verse 26. Let's break it down. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. The first thing I want you to see this morning is, without the Spirit, you won't make it. Without the power of the Spirit and his work in our life and us being yielded to him, we can't fight sin in our own strength. We're doomed to failure without yielding to the Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit, and trusting in the Spirit of the Lord within us to give us victory over our flesh. Zechariah 4.6 says this, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. This is so critical. This is so important. Okay, In your Christian walk, you've got to have the Spirit. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. Not only in you, because you're born again, but Him at work in you. And you've got to be getting into the Word, getting into prayer, and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to lead you. We are a Spirit-filled church. We believe that the Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, and directs us by His Word. And He works in and through us by the Spirit. But this is so vitally important for our church, for your walk, for the success of Calvary Chapel. We have to be led by His Spirit guided by his spirit as we move, as the leadership 
moves forward, as the fellowship moves forward, we've got to be led and guided by the Spirit of the Lord. In your walk, in your personal walk with Christ, in your daily walk, we need the Holy Spirit at work within us. In your family, so vitally important. It's so vitally important to be a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled family so as husbands can love our wives as Christ loved the church, so wives can submit to their husbands, which simply means allow the husband to be the leader. But that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But one of our greatest weaknesses without the Spirit of God, without the Holy Spirit uh, working through us, is look at it, verse 26. It says, in the same way the Spirit also helps in our weakness, that word can be also translated infirmities in our fallen state. Look at the next part. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Now, it does not say we can't repeat words. It doesn't say we can't repeat meaningless phrases. There's millions of prayer books across the United States in the pews of churches that are dry, meaningless, repetitive prayers. They're everywhere. But prayer, it has to have meaning. Our prayers to God have to have meaning. In other words, they have to have heart. they got to have heart behind it. It's got to be the Holy Spirit in us, driving us to that place of prayer so that, that we're praying in accordance with the Holy Spirit and we're allowing him to place on our heart the things of the Lord. Question for you. Are our prayers man-centered or are they God-centered? Are our prayers man-centered or God-centered? Holy Spirit-led prayer is always God-centered. It's centered on the things of the Lord. Man-centered prayers, that's on us. But our prayers need to be focused on God and God alone. Without the Holy Spirit, without the Spirit working in our lives in His ongoing work, we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray. We're, we're just saying meaningless words. It's got to come from the Spirit working in our life. Verse 26 continues, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. One of the greatest gifts of the Spirit is he enables us to pray. He gives us a desire within our heart to pray. But not only pray, but to have fervent prayer. I think the women's ministry is studying this. They're studying fervent prayer. But that's one of the things that the Spirit does. He gives us a fervency. He gives us a fervency for prayer. But it says, though, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. In other words, the Holy Spirit is in us, and he's praying for us. And not only is he praying for us, but he's, he's teaching us how to pray. And notice it says, the Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Two interpretations of this verse. One, it's a prayer language. We call it the gift of tongues. Praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. You know, you can't knock it because there's nowhere in the Bible where it says it ended, okay? But I believe it's a legitimate prayer language for today for the believer. Second interpretation is it's a fervent intercessory prayer. A fervent intercessory prayer. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives you an overwhelming, deep-driven prayer life where you're able to intercede for others. And he's groaning within you. There's a passion 
that I want to be a prayer warrior, that I want to go into my prayer closet and, and pray for, for whatever the Lord leads. So there's this fervent intercessory prayer. What is the Spirit? What is he praying for? What do you think he's praying for? Is he praying that we'll have a big house? Is he praying that we'll win the lottery? What is the Holy Spirit within us praying for? Look at verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Excuse me, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What the Holy Spirit is praying is that we do God's will. Is that we operate within the will of God. What is the will of God? There's some specifics that we know from Scripture that the Holy Spirit is praying for us. One of them is we need to live thankful lives. We need to be thankful for that is God's will. And that is one of the things that the Spirit is praying for us. Just if you're taking notes, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says it's God's will that we be thankful. The Holy Spirit is praying for us that we'll flee sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Holy Spirit is praying for us that we'll flee and that we'll run from sexual immorality and we will keep ourselves pure and devoted to the Lord. He's praying within us to live fruitful, productive lives. 1 Peter chapter 2. The Spirit is praying for us to live fruitful and productive lives. He doesn't want us to just to be a bench warmer, but he wants us to get out and be a part of what God is doing in this world for the gospel. And most importantly, I believe the Holy Spirit is, is praying for us is this, is that we will follow Jesus with all our hearts. That is the cornerstone of what I believe the Spirit is praying for us, is that we will follow Christ with all of our hearts in our daily life, in our work, in our home, in our family, moms, dads, children, is that you've loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The Holy Spirit wants you to fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with God. That is what I believe the Holy Spirit is praying for. The question that comes up when we start talking about the will of God and being led by the Spirit, well, David, the Bible doesn't address if I should join the army or join the navy, if I should become a plumber or if I should become a carpenter. How, how do I find God's path for my life? How does the Holy Spirit reveal to me to find God's will specific into what I am to do in my life that's not recorded in Scripture? I'll give you three ways. Three ways the Lord speaks. Three ways the Holy Spirit speaks. And then it kind of, I'm going to bring them together in one question that you have to ask yourself. The first one is prayer. You've got to spend time in prayer. You know, you've got to spend time in prayer and asking the Lord to show you, God, what do you want me to do in my life? Where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to go to church? Where do you want me to get a job? What do you want me to do? You've got to spend time in prayer. The Holy Spirit speaks there. Uh, the Word of God. You've got to spend lots of time in the Scriptures and just meditating on the Word of God. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God. As you open this Bible and you read it, God is speaking. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Now, that might not address the specific area that you're asking, but I believe it's in those moments He can refine your search and give you a direction to go into as you search out His Word. Thirdly, I believe, the Holy Spirit, He speaks through godly counsel. He speaks through godly counsel. 
You're trying to determine the path in life. You're trying to determine you're facing a big decision. Get godly counsel. The Holy Spirit will speak through brothers and sisters in Christ that you trust, that you know, that are in the Word. Okay? And finally, we pray. We spend time in the Word. We uh, seek godly counsel. And then it comes down to this big question that we always like to ask one another is, where is the Holy Spirit leading me? Where is my heart? After I've done those three, after I've prayed, I've spent time in the Word, I've got godly counsel, where is the Holy Spirit leading me? And he places it right here. And you be obedient and you step out in faith and you do that. That's how I believe the Holy Spirit reveals uh, his will for your life. We see here, God shows his love and commitment by sending his Holy Spirit to you. That's the first one. God is committed to you because he has sent his spirit and his spirit dwells within you. And as we saw right here, that spirit, the Holy Spirit, teaches you how to pray. Let's look at the second commitment. The second commitment to you is, is this. God's second commitment to you, and we got about five or six. We'll hit um, uh, three, four, five, and six next week. Um, but the second commitment to you is the promise of good. It's the promise of good. I love that song that Tony sang that led us in. He's a good, good father. Amen? Amen. He's a good, good God. He's a good, good God. The second commitment to you is the promise of good. And this right here, Romans uh, 8, 28, as you know, if you don't have, already have it memorized, it's one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible. This is, for many people, this is their life verse. So let's look at it. Verse 28. For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. What we're going to do here now, we're going to break down this verse, phrase by phrase, and see exactly what it's saying. Look at verse 28, the first three words. It says, and we know. And we know. We have certainty. This is talking about our confidence before the Lord. This phrase, we know, is uh, written 43 times in the New Testament. Our faith in God, our confidence in God, is not philosophy. It's not religion. It's based on fact. It's based on truth. It's based on the word. We have confidence. We don't just believe these things. We know these things. We know them for certainty. They're the anchor of our hearts. They're the anchor of who we are as believers. It's the truth of who God is, the Father, the truth of who the Son is, the truth of who the Holy Spirit is, and the truth of his word. This is our sure foundation. It's more than head knowledge. It's more than head knowledge. Christianity is more than head knowledge. What is it? It's heart knowledge. It's it's heart knowledge. We know him here, and we need to know him here. We need to wrap our minds around the things of the Lord. But more importantly than knowing him here, knowing him in our head, is knowing him in our heart. We know these things. We know these things to be sure. Uh, The verse continues, that God causes all things to work together for good. Notice there, it does not say, not some things. It says, all things work together for the good. It does not say all things. Now notice it does not say this. It does not say all things that happen to us are good. That's not what what the verse says. 
It doesn't say God causes all things in the world. God is not the author of evil. God is not the one, he's not the author of evil. He's not the author of sin. We didn't wake up on 9-11 and what those, those 9-11 terrorists did. That was not God's will. What ISIS, the, the terrorist attacks going on around the world, they're, they're not acting by direction from the Lord. You know, the Holocaust of the unborn, abortion, that is not God's will. And God is not behind that. Where do we put those things? Where do we put the evil and sin in the world? Where does it fall under God's sovereignty? Where does it fall in the grand scheme of plans? Under the, God is sovereign. God is in complete control. But in his sovereignty, he has given men free will. And in their free will, in their own choice, they have chosen to rebel against the Lord. And that's, where sin falls. That's where evil falls. Under man's responsibility. Romans, even in the evil in the world, even in the, the bad things that happen for the believer, God is working all things out for our good. Romans 8.28 is the sure foundation. It is the believer's rugged hope. It is the, um, it is the anchor in the storm that we know that God is working all things together for his children. It does not mean we will escape peril. This verse does not mean we'll escape peril. It does not mean we'll escape distress. Just ask um, Elizabeth Elliot. 1956, five missionaries went down to Ecuador, led by Jim Elliot. They wanted to reach the Hurani tribe. They spent five years learning the language, getting trained up, to reach this tribe that had never been reached with the gospel. They were warned, don't go down there, they'll kill you. They had people doing oil mines down there, and people had gotten killed. But these men, as missionaries, were driven that these people are going to perish if we don't take them the gospel. So anyway, five years, they trained up, they went down to Ecuador, and somewhere around 1956, in the month of January, they landed on Sandy Beach on a Friday, met up with the tribesmen, and had a peaceful conversation with some of the ladies. The ladies disappeared into the jungle. They stayed over the weekend. And on Monday morning, as the missionaries were out there on the beach, the tribesmen came in and murdered them, every single one of them. All five of the missionaries were dead. End of the, Spe the movie, End of the Spear. If you haven't seen it, magnificent movie to watch. But even in that tragedy of those missionaries dying, God is working all things together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. We know that two years later, Nate Saint's wife, I think her name's Rachel, and Elizabeth went back and were able to minister to the tribe and bring in the gospel. His name is Min Kay. He was one of the uh, tribal guys that killed Nate Saint. He got radically saved. He's still alive today. He travels around with uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman and the, the Billy Graham uh, crusades. But even in this tragedy, in losing their life, the gospel was brought to the Harani tribe. Just ask the martyrs throughout the centuries who've lost their life. The persecuted church today, 
this verse does not mean we'll escape peril or distress. It just means in, in our deepest, darkest hour, we know. We, it says we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. He is working it out for the greater purpose. When you go through trials and tribulations, remember this. God is faithful. God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to you. And remember this also. God's love is deep. God's love is strong. And he is faithful and he is good, even in the hard times. Verse 28, last half says, This is for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. According to his purpose. You know, chance does not exist in this world. Luck does not exist in this world. Fate does not exist in this world because God is sovereign. And our hearts rest in his sovereignty. And our hearts rest in his purpose. In his purposes, in his plan, in his sovereignty. And his plan will not be thwarted. Us little men down here on earth, we're like little ants running around. We can't thwart his plan because his plan is perfect because God is good and God is faithful. Amen? Look down at verse 29 and be praying for me this week because there's a lot in this verse that um, I got a lot of preparation to do. But look at verse 29. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, moreover whom he predestined, those he called, and those he called he also justified, and whom he justified he also glorified. We're going to be looking at big words next week. Foreknowledge. Predestination. Don't we love that one? We love that word. And there's so many, these words can be divisive for people. But let me tell you something, they're not. They're not. This is God's commitment to you. And when you see these words as his commitment to you, these words like predestination and foreknowledge and called and glorified, they're glorious. They're magnificent. And we're going to break them down next week as we climb the mountaintop of Romans chapter 8. Amen? God is able. He will never Almighty God, greater than all we see, and greater than all.